Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, today is the day that in our fast we set aside for this thing called healing. And this is your reality, oh God. You said that in the name of Jesus, the sick would be healed. So right now, those that are standing and those that are watching on television that are believing in God for supernatural, divine provision, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name above all names. Father, we declare, oh God, that you will do great and mighty works, Father God, through those who believe in your name. They shall pray for the sick and the sick shall recover. So we declare those in this house, Lord, that have stood and that need, Father, that which you bestow, be healed from the head to their toes, O oh God. Father, we pray that you would move mightily. There would be signs, wonder, miracles, O oh God. That you would do great exploits on behalf of those who believe in your name. And we love you, O oh God. And we celebrate your goodness in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I want you to pray for the sick. Quit, quit telling people you can't come over because they're sick. Well, who's heard of that type of Christianity? I can't come over because you're sick. That's not, what, that's not our mandate. Okay, Matthew 6, real quick. I'm sorry, Bishop, real quick. I know you're going to bring it down. We're going to give you full time. Listen, Matthew 6, don't do your deeds publicly to be seen by men. So he says three things in this chapter. Otherwise, you have no reward. The three things in this chapter is when you give, give so nobody sees. Verse 2. Whenever you are charitable, do not sound the trumpet. Give in a manner that's consistent with obedience. Why? Because when God is asking you to give, he means he's going to pour more into your lap. Don't think that God is ever going to ask you to give and he's going to leave you in the cold. Whenever you give, it shall be given to you. In large measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's what people don't know in this world. So this requires faith. What's faith? Believe God. Give like you've never given before and watch God do his thing. Be generous in every moment. One of the things we need to declare here at the church, uh, we had a family who lost their father in November, um, the 19-year-old boy with his mom who's a widow. Now he's an orphan. His father died. He's 19. His mother works like, like crazy. He works, and he has a 10-year-old little brother. And so he's taking his mom to work. He takes his little brother to school, and then he goes to work. But when the father dies, they don't have any car or transportation. So when we saw what was happening, the church moved in compassion, the year of compassion, right? And we bought them a car. Absolutely. And they're blown away. They're like, what? Well, listen to me. Before I make money with cryptocurrency, before I invest and I become a, a rocket scientist, I'm going to give to an orphan and a widow. Why? Why? Because God is looking in heaven. God is looking. So 
So they're floored and they're, they're, they're going crazy. But what we, we sound the alarm to this. Giving is contagious. I learned how to give by watching generous people. And the Bible says when you give, give in a manner that is, is consistent with God. Um, verse 3, but when you give to the poor, do acts of kindness. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Move in that direction of giving. Verse 5, when you pray, you pray like this. And he tells you how to pray, how to give, how to pray. Verse 16, he says, when you fast. So all of a sudden you have giving, you have praying, you have fasting. And at the end of the chapter, you don't have to worry like the Gentiles. Do not worry about tomorrow. Because if you're giving, you're fasting, and you're praying, you have it made. God shows up. I'm excited. Let's play a video to calm down. And then we'll have Bishop.
Good morning. Somebody beat me to it. Good morning, people. Glory to God. I am so glad to be here with you. And you guys are awesome. I want to just, again, thank you for your love and thank you for uh, just all the Christmas cards and the um, New Year's cards and just your general care. It's, it's amazing and it's a tremendous blessing uh, for this bishop. And your bishop is still awesome and amazing too. And we were together just a couple few days ago and... God is opening up, say, new relationships, and in my view, those that might be looking at this from that meeting that we we were at recently, it really opened up uh, another part of the city to him, and I just believe he's going to be a blessing to those people whom God has opened up to him as well. He was just uh, very uh, generous uh, with them and uh, accommodating and uh, there are people in this city who really need uh, to see outside of their, um, their influence and know that God is using people that they may not know. In terms of my wife, so that uh, you will know, she's still fighting with me, and I'm still right there. And so what I did is I asked a number of people to send me Christmas cards uh, to my, for my wife and put in there a scripture and a declaration of, your, of God's healing grace to her. And then I said, I'm going to put them up on a wall around her bed so she'd have a wall of faith and love that would like be over her like a, a godly covering. And uh, that's what I did. And I sent them, of course, to my editor, Miss Ellenwood, and she, of course, put it out on the internet, on Facebook. Like, this is really funny. I'm just standing before you right now. If you would, were to ask me to do that, put it out on Facebook, I would say, yeah, sure. I couldn't put a thing out there. And I, I just want to give her credit, but there's not a thing out there on internet that I've done. I haven't, I haven't done any of it. And in actuality, I don't even want to do any of it. All I want to do is sit before God and see what he is, is he's saying and then ask the Holy Ghost to make it real to me and then live it out in a way where it takes the doubt away from people about the reality of God. And my message this morning will cover some of the ground. Let, let me just say in terms of my wife, um, at times she seems to be understanding what I'm saying to her and she's looking at me with those bubble eyes and sometimes she just has one of them open and I'll say your husband is here now I need you to open both eyes woman and then she, she won't obey I said you're slow in obedience okay let's keep it going up in here so I just kind of you know kind of ghettoish with her sometimes and then she'll open up the eye the other eye and I'll say that's what I'm talking about I need to see those beautiful eyes of yours that God's given you all the time. And she does. She, she responds in the sense of with her eyes. And uh, yesterday she was trying to talk back to me because uh, it's the breathing. I, I, just, I, don't, I think I know what language is uh, in terms of, of its, its tone. Ah, uh, 
It's air, breath, you see that, and it's tongue. So since she's on a feeding tube, you know, she's not getting the moisture on her tongue. And it's not easy for her to talk. And I can tell she's trying. I, I said, and I encouraged her, you can do it, woman. You can do it. God is in you. And evidently, you know, it's not done yet. You see that? Because I'm not giving up on you. And I don't care how you look on the outside. I know you see me on the inside. And that's true for you, too. And that will be my launching pad. I want to talk with you since this is the beginning of the year. Um, I did feel as though your pastor should talk the first Sunday here. Um, because he's setting out the priorities of the ministry as the bishop for this church and the effect of God in your life for the sake of you being used of God. Now, one of the the points that I want to make to you is that you don't want to live in this life and then die not at all understanding the reason why God brought you here. And then you don't want to die not fulfilling that will. So I constantly remind my wife about what she's done with me and the call of God. Now, while she's there, because I know in her spirit, she's not sick. Um, She's not uh, unknowing. She has the life of God is in her, it's only the body not submitting uh, to the will of God. And if God said what the bishop said this morning, praying for the sick, your body has to get in alignment with it. But the devil, and maybe perhaps through the history of of your life, have told you too much to listen to the flesh more than listening to the spirit. And you, your, your forefathers may have been like that, and your father's father. So you're just used to seeing everything out of the prism of the natural. So you get born again, and all of a sudden now, you got to believe something you don't see. And God actually tells you that. You walk by faith, not by sight. Well, most of us are, I'm going to say it, we're walking by sight, not necessarily by faith, the invisible. Well, what God has allowed me to do with you over these, over these months is to talk a lot about the invisible. And then I found myself in the last uh, few months having to face it. Now, you, you may not think of it this way, but I got to live out this stuff I'm talking. And I, I'm having to live it out seriously. So now I get here in April, and then in May... The Dr. Perdone, I go to him, take my wife. She's walking, talking, doing everything. And then she goes to the hospital just to get an MRI, and she hasn't left since May. So she never had a chance to even um, appreciate you in the way that time would do it. And then now, here I am, having to believe the word over against the circumstances of what I see with the person that I've been union with, you are now one together in a marriage ceremony. Till death us do part. So 
I got to believe God because he hasn't told me anything different, that his word is true while looking at her sometimes with a forehead frowning where she's in, to me it seems like she's in pain. And then I have to declare the word of the Lord over her. And I say, with his stripes, you're healed. You're going to be with me again. And I can see in her eyes, her eyes drop, sloop, as though she doesn't believe that. So for me, I have to live this thing out while still yet going and putting the word out. Now, and I, I will tell you this. I won't say it. It's on, it's on screen, and I don't know. Like, one of her good friends is a lady named Kay James. And the two of them were in college ministry together called Tom Skinner Associates. And Tom Skinner was the father of Tony Evans. And if you'll listen to Tony Evans, if you ever heard him, he talks with a lisp. Well, so did, did Tom Skinner. And both Kay James and my wife were there together in college with this. Now, Kay is in great shape. They're both the same age. I was in that we were in their weddings. They were in our wedding. So we're at the same age. So, but I don't say to God, here's the temptation of the devil. Why is Kay James, who uh, is in good health, she just resigned this year from Heritage, in great shape, and my wife is laying there. I don't ask God nonsensical questions like that. That life belongs to God. That he spoke to me and, 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 and made me aware of it, not in an audible voice, that she's more my daughter than she is your wife. So you don't have the right to question me about why she's laying there and why uh, uh, Kay James. Matter of fact, Kay James, now the new governor of Virginia, Youngren, asked Kay to be the co-leader of the transition team for uh, his being becoming the governor. So Kay, even though she resigned from the heritage, she was personnel director for Bush Pointee, and now she's still working, even though she's retired a couple times, she's still working. Now, I don't, I'm not jealous of that. She and Charles and what they do. Now, with me... They don't believe the way I believe. They, I mean, I'm sure they're not embarrassed about saying that they uh, don't believe in healing the way I believe in healing. They, they, they enjoy wine. I don't. I don't do wine. My wife and I, as I said, we've been married 48 years. And we've, as long as we've been married, we've never tasted wine or beer or anything. So, and so we are living a devout life. So why would devout life allow for my wife to be laying there? Why wouldn't she be standing up and that? I don't ask God nonsensical questions like that. I, I said, God, this is your, that's your life right there. That's your body. That's your daughter. And the destiny of her life is up to you. Now, I have to now exercise as her husband the same uh, thankfulness for her laying there as I would if she was standing upright. Why? Because the marriage vows still are there. So if I didn't do that, 
There's something about my Christian life that doesn't stand up under testing, under trial. It retrogrades to the level of the circumstance rather than stand above it in faith. So I want to tell you that's where I am. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have the temptation. I don't feel bad that I I don't, um, when I get the visual, I take pictures every time I'm there of her and I don't necessarily like looking back at the pictures of her laying there, um, but I do. I look at them, and I don't like the way it looks and that. But I have to face this thing as a man of God and let God decide what he's going to do. Now, in the process of it, I'm going to talk about revival um, in, in, a, in a godly sense, this in in an eternal sense. What is revival? What is this thing? And I'd like for you to turn to Psalms 86, and I'll finish this discussion with you. So now, so I'm relegated to, um, I'm blessed by the fact that she's able to stay in the facility she's in because it could have been that they wouldn't have allowed me, her to stay there, and I would have had to pay $8,000 a month for her to stay in that, even in that same place. But it was provided through the resources of the government that the, where she's at is provided for. So I want to tell you I'm extremely thankful to God for doing that. So now, in the process of this now, I'll tell you, I've turned down many opportunities to go and minister. And because inside of me, uh, Dr. Padrone told me that 20 years ago, and I've said this to you, 20 years ago, medical uh, care in this state has fallen to an all-time low. He says, you need to be there. The nurses don't do what they could do at the level. And he doesn't know, if he didn't warn me, I would have been truly disappointed. And I will say a couple things to you. So, where she's at now in this nursing facility, the doctor comes around ever so often to see her. I couldn't verify that. Not one doctor has called me since she's been in the facility she's been one time to tell me her state. Not one nurse has called me. They've sent me texts to tell me how many people got COVID in that place or how many nurses got it, but not to tell me my wife's state. But the doctor already warned me. So he says, if, you, if she's going to recover, you got to be there. So I took that seriously. So, you know, with me going there often, and I almost hated when I did 10-10 by cost of the length of time I was going to be away from her. So when I was away from her, away from her, I sent my son down here to live in my place and to be with his mother. While he was down here, He gets COVID. And not only did he get it, he got it bad. And so he couldn't go to see his mother. I couldn't come back to the apartment because he had COVID. But he got it bad. He ends up getting blood clots in his legs and then blood clots in his lungs and have to take blood thinner. Now, this is what I'm dealing with. And then I get COVID while I was away. So I had to stay in this hotel room. And then somebody sent me the protocol and the medicine 
that I could take while I was there in Orlando. So I stayed in Orlando. Then his wife in another city gets COVID in Jacksonville. So here I was in Orlando. His wife was in Jacksonville. Uh, He's in Miami. My daughter had already gotten it, and she came down here, got him, took him back because she had the antibodies up to Tampa and nursed him back to a place where at least his wife, who only had the symptoms for a shorter period of time, was able to take him back home, but then he still had to go through that. Now, I'm talking about revival in an eternal sense. Now, all of us have to stand on the word of God and still not listen to the secularists and natural people about COVID. It's, my life's got to be more about what God is doing and what the call of God is on our lives than our personal situations and circumstances. We have to rise up above it. And to the death, we got to be faithful. So here's the last thing I'll tell you about it. So it felt like the Lord spoke to me because I, I had a chance to do the 40th anniversary of Benny Hinn in ministry. I was asked to be a keynote speaker there. I called him and said, I can't do it. Dean Nelson, my own son, was the, the governor-elect then. Was He did a conference in Richmond. I was supposed to be the closing speaker there. I called him and told him I couldn't do it. And two other places. So the only thing I have done is the 8-8 and the 10-10. I did a 10-10 down there, and they couldn't get there because whatever, whatever the reasons. So the devil comes to me and say, you are on your own, buddy. Uh, There's nobody that's standing with you. And I said, exactly, like every leader, they got to stand on the reality of God in their lives. Get in there and wash those dishes and do your wife's laundry and fold those clothes up and take them back over to that place so she'll have something fresh to wear. Those people said to me, I've asked the people to do the physical therapy. They said, you have to sign for it. I signed for it. They did it three days and then gave her something that she could hold her arm up and put her leg in a different position, and we haven't seen them since. I got to do it, but not retrograde. But then the Lord comes to me and say this last thing, and this is the last time I'll, I'll talk about it and say to you. And then God said to me, So because your wife is sick, the call of God on your life is shut down, huh? So because she's sick, what she did with you, you can't do without her, huh? And I knew the answer to that. Because when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. And you do too. I do too. So I re-upped, and the the bishop mentioned fasting and praying and getting alone with God, and this is where I am for this this next run of effect. And it seems like God has already gone ahead of me for the effect that we're going to have. I don't want to die worrying about my circumstances. If I die, I want to die in the middle of the will of God. 
I just said to Bishop Hunt this morning, I'm, I'm open to live in another country and start a whole other ministry in another country. And then I was reminded I actually did that. I was in Germany starting another ministry. I was in East Germany looking to buy a building to have an effect on the Germans and then Europe because it said as goes Germany goes the rest of Europe. I wasn't thinking about my race or where I was going to preach. I was going to do something on a word from scratch with no guaranteed money or no guaranteed support. As a matter of fact, the first two times I went over there, I stayed a month at a time, I asked nobody to come with me. I don't want you with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first be the seed of what is going to happen. And then, of course, COVID happens. The country shut down. And for two years, where I'm a two million mile on one airline, at least a million mile on another airline, I have not gotten on an airplane for two years. So now here we are today with you. The only thing, commitment I've kept is this one. This is the only one. Now, I can clearly tell you there are numbers of places I can go to. Not my assignment. I have to do endure hardness as a good soldier because I've said this to you. What God is going to do is not around our convenience. It's around our sacrifice. If I'm not willing to sacrifice, then I must not be willing for God to do this great thing which he's going to do in the last day. Is he going to do it for me? No, sir. He's going to do it for his own will. Psalms 86 says this. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Sometimes successful people in their prosperity can't pray at a level like this. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. How many of you are there? Look, give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are, you are so good so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you'll answer me. Verse 10, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name forever. For your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. So, my father, here I am here at 
Spring of Life Church, I, I saw the scripture that this church was birthed out of. Spring of Life, and life is springing up. In responsible living, they're not just born again, they're living the life of heaven. I speak your blessings over your people now, and I thank you for them, for this man of God and his wife and the people of God, their leadership, and for the people who are following truth, who are trying with the help of the Holy Ghost to live this thing all the way out. I join with them in faith and thank you for how you're using them, things I know about and things I don't know about. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name. I pray, and all the people of God said, amen. So now let me take you through a bunch of scriptures like what um, Bishop Joaquin does. He pounds you with the scriptures. And uh, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I can tell you that Well, actually, chapter 1. Let's go back to chapter 1, because this morning I, I went through the first five chapters, and I want to give you something out of here that's important. So verse 2 says, I'm writing you to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own, look, holy people. Now, this is crucial for you to know that you're, own, you're God's holy people. And in this way, you've been called, watch, to be something, not just to do something. And it's important that you know that in this church, you are a holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So what is this revival in another way? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, it says, number one, that you and I should dedicate ourselves to personal holiness. And this is what I, I have to um, be conscious of, not just the, the, principle, the premise of holiness, but to live this thing all the way out, and it shows up in circumstances. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, look, who those who chose you is holy. Well, the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. So that's you. You must choose personal holiness. And that means you're privately holy. That means you can handle things with nobody looking and look like God not showing off, but be a standard for others to see. Number two, take your personal devotion toward God out to the marketplace. This is in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? See, that's basically saying you, you are needed by God to make the difference to a world that don't have a clue right now. Uh, and, and before, when I was here before, it's been out that this, well, Pelosi, look at her. She's, she's, she spoke so much against your governor and against this state. And now she and her husband, you know, she, I think they said they changed their mind, was buying a $25 million house in Jupiter where the fat boys live. 
So why? You want to get away from your own mess? The mess that's in your state, you made it. But now this state. Now, I want to say that with this new variant that people are talking about, you know, this state is the most liberal state. Your governor has made statements like, if you get fired because you're not, you haven't taken the vaccine, and if you uh, come against that, he'll find that company. I, I think I don't remember the number. Something like $10,000 a day per person. He's serious about people still being able to work and having the choice of taking the vaccine or not. And so, but here's what I've observed. Even though this is a free state, you don't have to wear a mask. They're now talking about, I saw it yesterday on Bandino, talking about all the people now and all the Democrats who are changing their mind about this particular president because they've seen so much stuff and so many contradictions that they're now talking about it openly. So the liberals who seem to not believe in the things that, that we who are Bible-believing people believe in are changing up. And one of them is about the mass. One of them said, the mass, the cloth mass, is nothing but a facial decoration. And basically they're saying because they don't work. But I want to say to you that in this state, where you have the freedom not to take the vaccine, the freedom not to wear a mask if you don't want. People are still wearing masks like you can't believe. Why? Because the, one of the basic laws of creation is self-protection. You don't have to make them protect themselves. Nobody just want to die. So you don't have to make these laws. You say, well, protecting others. Well, not only if they are protecting themselves, they don't want you to... Uh, to also get sick either. It's, the, it's in the nature, the laws of nature and of nature's God. That, and that was a statement in our declaration. But people have it in them. Even though people are born in iniquity, uh, they're, 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 they, they sin, but they're not all bad. And there's some people who may be mean people in some categories and other categories, they're great people. So we don't know anybody perfect, but I will say this. So here in this state, uh, the governor trusts you to do the right thing. That's what you have to do to a child. You teach them the right thing and then believe they're going to do what you taught them. But that's true in a church. You teach them the right thing. Now let me say something about teaching. See, I've also had a chance I can't name five players on any football team. I mean, I, my license plate on my car has Tampa Bay's, you know, whatever that, what do you call it? Logo on it, see? And that's because of Brady, not because of Tampa. My daughter wants me to move to Tampa. I said, no, I'm not moving to Tampa. And, uh, but I, Brady, but, but why? Well, in my case, People criticized Brady because of what they call deflate gate. Well, a lot of football teams were deflating their ball. And that because they were looking at the plays of other teams, well, a lot of them do that. It's like he gets caught, though. But in football, if you, if a guy isn't doing what you want him to do, in football, play him and beat him. See, this is a contact sport 
that by your plays and by your skill, you can get them back on the field. Well, instead of whining, whining about this guy, beat him. Well, since all those accusations have occurred, he's won at least two more Super Bowls. So what's the issue there? In other words, instead of being flaky yourself, use your so-called righteous standards to rise up above what you think about the, your, your opponent. Well, that's what God actually asked us to do. Instead of criticizing the devil and the people of the devil, rise up above them. So this is why you have a masses, you, you wouldn't think of this as revival, but it is. Numbers of Christian people are now running for office in cities to be from the lower tier positions to the higher tier, more visible positions because, why? They're not cursing the dark, they're being the light. So when Christians get in a position when the righteous are in charge, the people rejoice. When the wicked are, is in charge, the people mourn. So righteous people have to take their standard to the marketplace. That's the second point I'm making with you again. So you can't sit back and curse the dark. You've got to be the light. So it may be important for you now to make a case for being rich. Now what do you mean by that? And... I can tell you, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all holy and rich. And so the rich gave them the options. Now, I've had people tell me, well, Bishop, I, I don't need a lot of money. I, I really don't need to be rich. Well, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have to spend it on yourself. God actually says that in Deuteronomy 8.18. I've given you power to get wealth, what? To use it for the progression of the kingdom, that I may establish my covenant in the earth. The issue is not whether you're rich, it's whether you can be trusted. Trust is a greater value than the money you have. It's the trust you've been given by God. So what you want to do to get rich in the kingdom of God is increase your trust level with God. Now, the way you can do that, now when I talk about this church in other places, let me see, over there, is that a tithing box over there where you put it? Well, in this case, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever even heard a message in here about tithing. I certainly have never seen you pass the offering bucket around. Now, I don't necessarily believe it's a sin for you to pass it around, but what has happened in here? is you've been called to another level of trust. That without giving you a message every Sunday, the expectation is that if you are a real Christian, it becomes your opportunity and your trust relationship with God to be sure that the kingdom of God moves forward by the money you give. I've said this to you before as well. I... I I didn't say this, but I got a, a son. He's 71 years old. He's, he's talked to me about writing a book on tithing. Actually, the book he wants to write on tithing is actually against tithing. And he actually believes that in the New Testament, tithing isn't valid. And I said, uh, where did you get that? And he quotes these scriptures 
out of context. He's not a theologian, but he's just, and I clearly said to him, I said, tithing didn't begin with the law. And I mentioned to him about Melchizedek. I've told him about Hebrews. But then I said, look, the premise of money anyway is an issue of stewardship. It's not what you have, son. It's what you can handle. Can God trust you to take his money, because he says it, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. Can God trust you to do what he wants you to do with his money? And then if you are favored with little, then what? You'll be favored with much. So being favored with the little, you're only opening up the portal, the window of heaven for God to give you crazy money. Now I asked this man of God right here, did anybody offer to buy his company? Did God give him another idea about how to expand? Now, now I've never said this to him. The degree to which he receives what I'm saying to him and believes that God wouldn't have me bringing it up to him if God didn't want to do that. So what would happen is an increase of his seed into a level of trust with what he gives that would say to God, this money you're letting me have and the company you've let me start isn't my company or my money. I'm going to sow a crazy seed and trust you. Now, that's just like I trust God for my wife. In his case, he has to trust God for his company. The principles of faith is fixed, uniform, and universal. You've heard me use that term before. It's applied in different areas. But in his case, if he doesn't pray to God and then ask God to give him a number that would scare him, that it finds him at a level where I don't know if I can give this amount. Now you're at the level. Why? Because it'll force you to have to believe God to increase your vehicle so that he can give you more. Because the idea isn't what you have, it's what you can handle. I would hate to think that I couldn't handle a billion dollars. Now, I'm going to say this, and it goes out to the public, and people may be listening to me, and some of my bishops may be listening. There, this man of God, he doesn't like what my leaders give me. Now, he doesn't know I'm like them, him to them. The same way he is to you, I'm like that to them. In other words, I don't ask them for nothing. They got to give it to me out of their heart. I can tell you personally that the amount of money I give away to people in need is way beyond what I have coming in. The Bible really talks about proportional giving. Remember the widow, the widow's might? Jesus makes the statement, this woman has given more than you all. What do you mean? She didn't have, she don't have crazy money. He's talking about the proportion. She gave everything, and therefore her future was not assured. But that the God who saw her do it, that Jesus that saw her do it, would make sure she would be taken care of in her future. But God himself was her future, not her money. 
And he said to these other guys, you gave out of your abundance. So proportionately, if you add all those rich people's money together, it might could have been like crazy billions. And hers would only be a mite. It could be only be a dollar. All of their money doesn't equal a whole amount. It's only a part of what they have. So their security is what they have left. She had nothing left. Her security is in the God who allowed her to be a steward of that one might. If you don't get this, then you don't understand what he says to you. Now, I repeat this to guys, and they kind of like, whoa, they get mad. And he says, this is not a circus, and you are not a clown. That's what he says. So therefore, I'm not going to keep repeating to you what you already know to do. Well, what I'm talking to you now is about consecration and holiness. Because in, in true holiness, you would not even buy a house if you were a billionaire. Now, I said I saw Forbes' list of the top 400 richest people in the world. Just came out last month. Forbes, the magazine. And they put in that article Trump and Oprah on the front of that article. Why? Because it says they didn't make the top 400 richest people in the world. Trump is worth $2.5 billion. Oprah is worth $3.01 billion. They didn't make the top 400. And the last time the list came out, they did make it. There is an explosion of wealth that has hit the world, and a lot of it is new money. In the middle of a crisis and a pandemic, somebody sees profit more than loss. The people, so I look over the list and I say, look, let me see how many Christians are on there. Now, I did know quite a few. I can tell you that the Walton, the the. The, 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 the Walmart family people are on there. I can tell you that Bubba and Dan Cathy are on there. I can tell you that the Green family's on there. Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, um, Walmart. These are Christian people. But in the economy of the Bible, the crazy rich people were the people that really served God. And I wanted to go through with you, which I can't right now because, you know, here I am almost headed towards 11. And I'm just as my warm up. I have been away from you for a long time. So I have a lot that I want to pour out. But these are basic things. Money, no amount of money could pay for the way Araldo plays his trumpet. No, no amount of money. Now, now. Now, in the natural, I'll say 25 years ago, I would have said, you got to kick Mark Anthony because that gift wasn't for the world. It's for God's people. But God's people are so underneath the standard of where they should be that God could let him have an exceptional ability with the trumpet and put the trumpet of Jesus on the side of it and reach more people with a secular person than the people that call themselves Christians with hardly nobody looking at them. They don't believe that nobody's looking at them because they're Christians. Nobody's looking at them because their lifestyle isn't worthy enough to be modeled after. The standard is so low. During this pandemic, I just read about Spurgeon. Just, 
I didn't bring it with me just yesterday. And Spurgeon, in a crisis, he went to the city where the people were experiencing the pandemic and invited and had people come to his home and all of these challenges and, and they were going through the same thing we go today. We have eliminated being available to God to go around sick people on the fear that we're going to get sick too. While those early Christians, they said, I'd rather die trying to help somebody than to live in isolation. Now, I don't, I don't usually get a lot of amens. I don't even care. But for the Christians that I, I'm believing God to raise up, you'll never run like the running that has been experienced today. There's still scores of churches that are not open yet. And some of them, I'm going to say it right on the line, some of them are my sons. Or they call themselves my sons. Because in that same passage as you go along in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, 4, 5, he starts talking about Apollos and, uh, and Cephas and those people that they were following. Paul said, you know, be followers of me. This is actually what I think regarding those people that are sons of mine, that they would follow my standards. I got it. I got the COVID, doing the will of God. I didn't get the COVID not doing the will of God. I laid hands on at least 300 people at the church I was at for them to be called into ministry. Now, here's the point I want to make. Again, I keep forgetting to give you this point. But when I look at those sporting events, I see those State Farm commercials again and again. And Chris Paul, you know, talking about State Farm. And then I see Progressive talking about their commercials again and again. Why do you keep playing the same commercials again and again? Because I'm going to make sure you get it. I need to look at the numbers to see that more people are buying into State Farm. Because they realize it's a good commercial and it should influence people to change their insurance company. But the same way they keep showing that commercial again and again, if he preached the same message this whole month for Sunday, then Monday with the men, then Wednesday with the church, the same message, and then next Sunday, and then the Monday, and then the Wednesday, and then the next Sunday. See, the assumption is that when you heard the message, it has become you. And all you got to do is look at the behavior of the people and see they don't get the message. Look, the message hasn't got them. So that the behavior of the message given is what you're supposed to become. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching good. Really preaching good now because I'm screaming at you. I want to talk in a normal voice to say, this is a temporary life. The revival that God wants to bring is a change of your behavior. You, you cannot be afraid of anything. And in this nursing home where my wife is at, this young girl now that's at the front desk, she's now moved the table over so when you sign in, you don't sign in at the desk. She says, well, they're getting too close to me. I, I can't let them get too close to me. So I put the table. She said it right out. I put the table over here and she said, look at the number. If I were to ask her, how do you get it? How close do you have to be? Um, 
Where does it come from? She couldn't answer those questions. They still don't know where it came from. The culture doesn't even know. But you and I know it's the work of the devil. But the devil always is used to expose the church, either the victory of the church over darkness or the, or the capitulation of the church against the darkness. You give in or you take over. That's what we're dealing with right now. Who's leading the world? Well, Christ says, I'm Lord. I'm king of kings. How does he demonstrate it? Through those that submit to him. Through those that's born of him. You're born in royalty. But what are we doing with it? When I think of revival, I don't want to get to heaven. And heaven is something different than what I am. I want to think of people as God thinks of them. I want to do for people what God would do for them. So I'll tell you this. So I'll tell you, Doc, of, of Melina over there. So I have this uh, orderly, the lady that changes my wife's clothes and that uh, washes her up and that takes her out of the bed and turns her over because she'll get bed sores. I mean, all of this, you know, all that stuff I've, I've learned a lot. This woman, as I said to you, got tattoos all over her. She's like tattoos everywhere. And she's a sister. She lives over there in Homestead. So I asked her where she lives and her parents. She says her mama had the same thing my wife has. And I nursed her back to care. So this girl is nursing my wife. And she tells on the doctors and the nurses. So by the way, when I came back from that 10 day spurt and beyond my wife's legs were straightened out I was massaging it putting my thing on there now it's so curled up nobody can straighten it out she'll holler and scream they won't do it I'll do it and she she like she fusses you know and I straighten it out somewhat but this nurse this orderly, she's not a nurse, she's an orderly. I put a seed in that girl's hand at least every other time that I come there. Because why? Her care for my wife is worth more. I put $100 in her, in her hands. I put a, I put a, the most, at least I've ever given her is 50. Why? You're taking care of my woman. My woman is worth way more than that. But the care that she gives my wife when I'm not there and when I'm not looking is worth way more than any amount of money I could give her. She tells me about what's happened to her. Is she's regurgitated. Now, Doc, she's regurgitated at least three times that I know of all over the place. She tells me the level of it. So what is she? She's on a feeding tube. Why is she regurgitating? Because they did something wrong. And one time she threw up blood and they had to take her to another hospital. They did something wrong. Now, my tendency would be Man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to talk to somebody. Nope. God knew it was all about that. And I got a tattooed angel over there. I call her my tattooed angel. She don't claim to be a Christian. She knows I'm the bishop. She respects me and honors me. And then she's happy when I come because she don't know. I don't give her a hit every time, but she's kind of excited because she could get a hit any time. So I keep her pace of play. Strong. 
And so that's what happens. But then I'm that way with the guy or the woman who lets me in the gate. I gave him a Christmas present. I gave him a hit for letting me in. Now I don't have to show my ID and I don't have to let her see my license or him see my license. They just go, go ahead, Bishop Boom, glad to see you. Oh, look, God. Because why? I'm going to grease their palm. <laughs> that money that I give them is not worth more than their treatment of me because I'm not in there. I'm in there on assignment to make something happen. I don't want to be at the gate five minutes. Now, let me just say one other thing, and I guess I'll start my clothes. I got a lot of stuff over there. Bishops that are going to come down here to look out for me, like some of them, this is what I said. My wife and I used to joke with each other when we wanted each other's attention. So we'd look at each other and we'd say, I'm pitiful. And then I would say, wait a minute now, I'm pitiful right now too. And then she'd say, well, no, I'm more pitiful than you right now. I'm pitiful. i said, say, well, so finally one of us would give in and say, okay, you can be pitiful this time then. That means we want to be loved. We want to be hugged. We want to be treated like amazing. And so we have fun with that. Well, I said to Bishop Hunt, I mean, I, it's great that you guys are coming down here, but I'm not pitiful. Clearly not pitiful. I'm a killer all the way till I die. When my wife wet me, I boarded in what they call the maid's quarters in Bremerhaven, Germany, because my parents lived in a city 60 miles from where I had to go to school. So I had to stay. And upstairs in these apartment complexes, one room for the maid. And that's where I stayed. I had to pay to stay in the maid's quarters. So I've been in one room. So I finished high school. Only one year did I live with somebody. My parents wasn't there. I was with a family I didn't know. But two of those years, I was upstairs in a maid's quarters. Then when I went to the military and got out, my, I couldn't stay with my aunt. I had to rent a room in a house. It was one room. I stayed in one room. For, I don't even know how long. It was a, quite a while. Let me tell you something. To do the will of God, I'll stay in one room. I don't need a, a, an apartment. I don't need a house. I, I, I don't need um, the kind of car I drive. I'm on assignment to serve God no matter what state I'm in. To serve God in that state all the way. To me, I call that holiness. And I never put up with whining wives that want to worry about new furniture over sowing the seed for that furniture to the church to uh, be able to do something exceptional. Every year, every person in here ought to do something exceptional. Now, whether, now I talked with Jules once. And I said, you know, does Pastor Joaquin, you know, does he take care, how does he take care of his house? And you guys, he says, you know Joaquin don't talk about his money. You got to just do what you're going to do, but he's not going to talk about it. 
He never knew I was like that. I still am. So whatever state I'm in, therefore, be content. I'm not going to not buy. If I want to buy a, a car that is like slamming, I'm going to buy a car. Say, well, he spent my money on a nice car. Well, if it's your money and not God's money, maybe you should have kept it. But, but you get your rewards for your obedience when it's under your control. Once it gets out of your control, that other person, if they waste that money, they got to deal with God about it. You can't give the money and then try to control what happens to it. God will take care of business because he says the gold is mine, the silver is mine. The only thing I would say to you, the only time you're going to get a chance to drive a Bentley or a Rolls Royce or a Mercedes is in this life. And if you believe all the good stuff is for pagans, None of it is for Christians who dedicated their whole life and family to God. Then just go ahead and keep on believing like that. But I believe that the nicest house and the nicest car is for a person who's given their lives over to God seriously. And that house is nothing but trash compared to your dedication to God, your humility, your love, your serving. Because why? You can have the house, but the house shall never have you. Don't fake it. I know if I, I've got friends that wear clothes and they, they wear the kind of shirt that's, that's got the fringes of it like this. coming. It's wearing out right here, and they let you see it. They wear the shoes that, that you know, you can see that they're pretty much wearing out. Why? Because they want to look like they're pitiful. When they are loaded, I got two sons like that in other cities. I won't call it out. One of them is worth at least $30 million. I don't know if they've ever given me anything significant. Another is just worth a multimillionaire. Never. You know what? I will never ask them. Because why? My journey for God is not their money. My journey from God is buy of me gold tried in the fires. I'm being tried in the fires, and I got to be the gold standard. That's what's worth something to God. The value that's worth something to God. Now, for me, if this pastor says, I want to reach the world, then somebody said, that's why my company is, good, is making all the money, because I want to be ensured that he's going to reach the world. If my pastor says, well, we're going we're gonna to set up an educational system. We're going to buy, a, we're going to get another building and all this. We're not just going to rent. Well, if you're renting, somebody owns the whole thing you're renting from. Why shouldn't you own it? Somebody in the church has to say, God, trust me to drop $5 million down in here so that we can get the facilities we need to satisfy the vision of the man of God. And then when they get home with their well, husband and wife, they're not bragging about the new house they got. They're bragging about the seed they sow. And they're, yeah, baby, we did it. Woo! Why? Because somebody empowers the vision of God to happen because they have a trust relationship with God. That's amazing. 
This new kind of revival? No. I got a friend. You know, I gave this new company, and I'm sure they're listening to me now, um, my mailing list of some of the rich people I know. And I looked at the letter that they sent out during this time. When they sent out the first mailing, I, they didn't get a pre-approval from me. I said, I'm sure, okay, you guys can do it. I'm just going to let you do it. I never read, I still today haven't read that letter that they sent out. I just get the ramifications. Miss Ellenwood will tell me, and she's listening right now, and, and, and one of the mailings, I got 93 people to unsubscribe. Well, I don't have a 1,700 people on the list. 93 people, wait a minute, that's a lot of people. So then, you know what I had her do? Read me some of the names that you know. So when she read me some of the unsubscribed names, I was embarrassed. Why? Some of those family people I've known for 20 years. I, I know that their sons, the twin sons that they raised up, they wanted to be like me. But when you send out a letter that makes them feel they're just a number, that I don't even know them, they're saying, well, Bishop don't know us anymore. I'm going to unsubscribe. For me, I'd rather kick the mailing for the money and keep the relationship intact. For the way have God has had me come over to people's house and pray with them for hours and pray with their children and believe for their children and prophesy over their children. You can't unsubscribe me. Your life went somewhere through my relationship. So now you think I want to take from you? Well, it was the way the letter was written. Not that it was hard letter, give me money. It wasn't really, it really was a soft letter. Soft. But it was a letter like I didn't know them. You're just on a list. Now you tell me which one of you want to feel like that when you know the person you're getting the letter from. See, that's kind of how I am. So I've talked with one of the leaders about it. I'm willing to start all over again. Ms. Ellen was listening to me right now. She's my editor. I told her just a couple days ago, even with the, my collection that's at Regent University and all the stuff she has, I'll drop it all and tell you to keep every bit of it. I'll start all over again from right now. I'll start from scratch. Why? Because what I've done is done. I don't need to keep that. And God will use these next 10 years and give me stuff that would be phenomenal. But if I, if I worry about all of that stuff like that, uh-uh. That's not the heart of God in that. That's the real revival. He needs dedicated people who their only inheritance is God himself. And the approval of God in the great day. Now, in the next service which I hate we only have. I only have two times to preach on Sunday. <laughs> I love you, though, for giving me the opportunity to do the eight hours because now what he started is something that he doesn't know. I'm having a shut-in. So why? So we had 8-8. Eight, eight. 
And then I did 10-10. So now I've chosen the hardest place to get to that I know of, that I, this church that in Clinton, North Carolina, I'm doing a three-day shut-in, the 20 through the 22nd. So it's Thursday from 12 to Saturday at 12. Now, that's a shut-in. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit was poured on a shut-in. So, so we got eight hours and then 10 hours. Now it's shutting in. Let me tell you, I had to overcome fear. You know why? The vision I had was that nobody was going to show up. In my thinking, why? Because that requires sacrifice. And I've been saying it, gather the same things to me. Them that's made a covenant with me by sacrifice, meaning it costs something. So I had somebody, I'm saying it right now, they're probably listening to me, but they said, uh, well, I can't come because I had the windshield break, you know, um, and this needs to be fixed. And I said, I understand that. Tell them, get the windshield fixed when they come back. If they want my opinion, that's what they're telling me. I'm not going to say, that's great. I'm sorry. Fix your windshield. I'm going to say, no, wait. You get over here and get it if you want to get it. But don't put a broken windshield before in a consecration moment. You may never get the opportunity again to spend that much time with me in one lump sum. Why? You may not even know anybody as serious as I am about God. That's how I look at it. I was afraid to choose a place like that. Why? Because people are judged by how many. How much money you have, how many people come, and all that. So you know what God showed me? Nobody was going to show up. And you know what? I'm going to make sure of that because why? I'm going to get there before they show up. So, and then I wrote a letter. Miss Ellenwood wrote a letter. I didn't like it. I told her I didn't like it. I wrote it myself, and she said to me, she's on the phone, she's on the line right now. She said, yay. I said, don't be yay at me. I don't want to have to write a letter like that. I want you to write and write it right and write it right. That's how I am. Like, I'm like that. I, I, it takes time to spend with God to get the word. I need you to do this thing in an excellent way so that I can go forward with some stuff now because this year there's no more sitting around for me. I want to thank you again, because now when I go to churches, they got to give me eight hours. That's the new standard. In other words, I'll do your church service, but then I'm going to stay for eight hours for the people who really want the substance, so I'm the eight-hour guy. So I'm going to do this shut-in. It looks like every three months I'm going to do a three-day shut-in, but everywhere I go to preach, I got to have eight hours. Now, if you can't see that, that's not where I'm supposed to be. That's the new standard. But he's the blame. And, and, and I want to thank you again. And I, my heart just is, is moved by your level of devotion for God. You're the son that's sitting next to my biological son. He's come over here. And his wife had given him permission to stay with me from the 9th to the end of the month to help me get things in order so I can do them in a more effective manner. Thank you, though, for being a pleasing blessing. God bless you. I'll see you next time.
Let's stand up this morning. And it's this climate surrounding reality of a man who walks with God, who serves God, who's left a legacy uh, that we want to be in. We choose to be intentional and purposeful, uh, not interested in fanfare, not interested in the fluff. Uh, as I read Acts chapter 30, chapter 28, verse 30, we see that Paul spent the last of his days in a manner that was very simple. Uh, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's a prominent leader of the local church of his day. Uh, somebody said, uh, Pastor, I don't want to be uh, part of a church where I'm scared of the pastor. I said, well, if you're not scared of the pastor, there must be no consequences to walk foolishly. Um, Paul said, and he wrote in the book of Corinthians, some people are scared of me because they say I'm too strong, but uh, he was serious about God. And, and I really think that this is a church that's serious about God from day one. Uh, and, and there is consequences to walk in a manner that honors God. Uh, one of the gentlemen says, I don't want to be in the church where I feel weird if I'm not giving my all to God. I said, well, then you have to go look for a dead church. They won't care if you're giving it all or not giving any. But in this place, we want to leave a legacy to our children. Uh, we want our children to be prominent in the land. Um, and, and we've raised them up to be champions. And, and they went to another level when we met Bishop Wellington Boone. Uh, and he questioned them. He says, why aren't you the president of the school? And they, they looked at him and says, because our dad didn't teach us to be president. Um, and I thank God for when he spoke those words over Nicholas and Joshua and Brandon and Christina because their whole life they've been taught that they're not part of the commonry. They're, they're not common. They're called to do spectacular things for the glory of God. And so Nick would uh, fashion, coin the phrase, uh, Dad, I don't feel like a Toyota or a Honda. I feel like a Ferrari. I feel like a Lamborghini. And it's because they're high calling God requires them to shine bright in the midst of, of, of the commonplace and the mediocre. There in Acts 28, verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rental house. This is the apostle Paul. And he's living out what you just heard Bishop say, that he wasn't into the fanfare. He could have been part of the upper echelon, the elite, the no, he was, he was down. And what was he doing there? He was receiving all that came to him. He made himself accessible to those that were hungry for God. And, and that's what I know Bishop's heart to be. And, and I want to go like in the old days when, when a prince was coming into town, there was the court gesture. And they would attract the attention to get everybody to pay attention to the guy who's coming behind them. I want to be the bishop's court gesture. That the message of his life would get into the church in the United States. That the message of what he stands for would, would be visceral and penetrate the hearts of compromise and the religious systems of our day. So the Bible says there in verse 31 that he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with confidence and no one 
could say, stop doing it. Nobody forbidding him, nobody restraining him. And, and we have that. We, we have the pushback since day one in this church. People telling us we're too radical, we're too intense, we're too, you know, in your face. And, and that compensates for all the sleazy, sleazy, greasy grace sitting in the back row, non-penetrating Christians of our day. There has to be a spearhead. There has to be some people that go and march, and that's what we believe we are in this day. Uh, and that the people would come into our lives and see how we live, and that is the standard that God wants across the board for Christianity to be. There's not many Christians like that. Yesterday I was hearing Dr. John Joseph from India. Uh, he's on fire for God, and, and he's a standard in his country. And he says there's only 10%, one out of 10 Christians read their Bible and are towing the line for Christ without being egged on by someone else. It seems to be that the churches are all about, come on guys, give to God. Come on guys, read your Bible. Come on guys, do something spectacular. Well, one out of 10 people don't have to be told that because they're going full blast ahead, blazing a trail for other people to follow. And that's us. That's spring of life since day one. And, and if you're not, you know, some people says, well, pastor, I'm not confrontational. I don't like to put people on the spot. Then you don't have our DNA. Our DNA is to make people feel that they need to get right with God and today, not tomorrow. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness in our lives. We give you thanks for the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he paid a radical price and he left before us a mark that would transcend history before and after the death of Christ, Lord, is our date. 2022 lord because he went ahead of us and he marked the earth with an example of what a son of god looks like what a son of god uh, does father we pray that we continue to move in your grace fasting these 21 days to get in line in in purpose and conscious with everything your word says lord and that these would not be just words falling on deaf ears lord that they would pierce the hearts of men that they would move for god and be a standard in their day and be a leader and be champions in the call of God. We give you thanks for what has been deposited. The bishop's time in this house, Lord, will mark a before and after of Spring of Life Fellowship. We will cherish and we will uh, come into what he has spoken of with regards to eternity training, with regards to sacrifice, with regards to living with uh, eternity in mind. We pray that you be glorified and that you allow this seed to grow and to be fruitful and multiply lord we thank you for the generosity of spring of life fellowship lord we've always poured out our coffers in the direction of your kingdom believing that there is more if we've been faithful with that which is small there is more and levels of abundance to shower lord the earth with your grace and your reality we pray your blessing and that you would multiply that which has been given in this house lord to those who have been faithful to give uh, to be faithful in their tithes and offering, Lord, their generosity, their continual pouring out of their lives, their time, their talents, their treasures for your glory. We pray your blessing upon the people of God, upon their families, their children for a thousand generations, Lord, of those who walk in your purpose and your principles in your word. We pray that you would bless Jason 
and his family, Tia, Lord, and the children, Father God, and that you also not forget their labor of love that they've shared uh, towards uh, Bishop's ministry and, and, and his furtherance of his future, Lord. We pray for Catherine Boone, O oh God, that you raise her up for your glory, Lord. Raise her up out of that bed of sickness, Lord, of that bed of illness, of that bed of ailment, oh God. You're able to restore all things. We are believer in those things, Lord. We celebrate you every time you do it, Lord. Be glorified and be magnified and show forth your strength and power. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and all the people of God say amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. God bless you and go change the world. Amen.